television makes the world seem more attractive than it really is. Thus, it can draw our affections away from our Lord, and that's where the trouble starts. It starts in the heart. Whereas a fish starts going rotten in the head, we human beings start going rotten in our hearts. If worldly interests have begun to take over my life, it means that somewhere in the recesses of my heart there's been a secret surrender. And if a priest no longer loved Christ above all else, he's in danger. That was the trouble with poor Judas. Satan got him, and Satan has got us all. Whatever is false, the devil's not lazy. Love of creatures, not logic, is what ordinarily draws priests away from the priesthood and Catholics out of the church. I'll tell you a story about one of our priests, Father Sam Hornby, long since gone to his reward. When I knew him, he was an elderly priest, fairly short, solidly built, with a very deep voice. He told me that he was once giving, giving a clergy retreat, and a young priest came to see him to talk about his vocation. This young man had doubts, it seems, about the validity of his orders. He'd had doubts, he said, the very day he was ordained, about whether he ought to receive the sacrament. And anyhow, it was his parents, really, who'd talked him into it, and he hadn't been very mature then. Father Hornby interrupted him, and looking him in the eye, said in his deep voice, Who is she? A couple of years later, Father Hornby was out shopping with his niece, and they went into a jeweller's shop where she wanted to buy something, and there, behind the counter, was this young man, now, of course, without his robe and collar. Father Hornby and this young man, they recognised each other. And here was Father Hornby out with this attractive young woman. However, luckily, what she bought had to be posted, and she gave her name, Miss Hornby. But it had been quite an embarrassing moment for them. I've digressed, for the point is that it's our hearts we need to watch, and they can become insensibly hooked on television. It can become an addiction. I once had a priest come to stay for the weekend to make a missions appeal. We had no television set in the house, and when he should have been watching the news on the Saturday evening, he was showing painful withdrawal signs, and was clearly in need of his usual fix. The poor man just couldn't sit still. So we should remind ourselves that our baptized eyes are made to look on the uncreated beauty of God. How can they ever be satisfied with what we see on the screen? They're made for the beatific vision, not color television. Original sin has left us with a built-in disorder, a bias that can draw us to what is not right. This bias is to be found both in our intellects and, our, and in our wills. Our intellects can sometimes judge what's false truer than what is true. And our wills, as we unhappily know, can incline to what is sinful. We call this flaw concupiscence. Rather like driving a car with a front tire half flat. Without constant effort and attention, you head for the gutter. In my seminary, we had a course on what they called experimental psychology from Father Lester King. And in one lecture, he put up large coloured squares for us to look at, one after the other. We had to call out the colour and then go on looking at it till he put up the next colour. 
After half a dozen colours, he put one up and we all called out, Grey. He said, If you like, you could forget everything else I've been teaching you, but please remember that you call this one Grey. Now just go on looking at it. And as we looked at it, we saw that it was green. He somehow conditioned our eyes so that we all thought it was grey. Our consciences can somehow become conditioned. Public opinion can become conditioned to the point of seeing nothing wrong in things that disgusted people only thirty years ago, abortion, for instance, or sodomy. But the teaching of the Church in matters of faith and morals can never be conditioned. It has an outside reference point, divine revelation, and the uncreated wisdom of God. Fulton Sheen's dictum, If you don't behave the way you believe, you'll soon believe the way you behave, is the key to understanding much of today's apostasy and why the Church is so insistent on our holding to her teaching. For instance, missing Mass on Sundays without sufficient reason undoubtedly damages faith. The Code of Canon Law tells us the Lord's Day, on which the Paschal Mystery is celebrated, is, by apostolic tradition, to be observed in the Universal Church as the primary holy day of obligation. And again, on Sundays and other holy days of obligation, the faithful are obliged to assist at Mass. They are also to abstain from such work or business that could inhibit the worship to be given to God, the joy proper to the Lord's Day, or the due relaxation of mind and body. The Church has had a lot of experience in this, in this area. She knows that if we keep missing Sunday Mass, our faith is gradually diluted until there's scarcely anything left at all. She knows that missing Holy Communion for years can lead to such a loss of supernatural appetite that a Catholic finally forgets what Holy Communion really is. Neglecting our spiritual duties can indeed have a lethal effect. However, if people, for one reason or another, may not go to the sacraments, then at least they should continue to attend Sunday Mass and thus make the weekly act of homage and obedience that Almighty God has insisted on. If people, for instance, are invalidly married, but on account of the children cannot separate, I urge them to be faithful to Sunday Mass and the daily rosary. If they show this amount of goodwill, I trust that Our Lady will somehow see them safely through at the end. But whatever people say, to miss Mass on Sundays is dangerous. Strangely enough, sins against marriage seem to have a particularly shattering effect on the faith. Maybe one reason could be this. We are made in the image and likeness of God. God is a trinity of persons lovingly united in one eternal nature. Christian marriage, in which two persons are sacramentally made one in Christ, and from whose loving union proceeds a third person, their baby, this familiar marvel is a reflection in our own being of the central mystery of God's own being. So anything that contradicts this reflection of God in our lives profoundly affects our whole relationship with Him. Our faith is like the root of our soul's life. Chastity is like the leaf and flower. Kill the leaf and flower and the root will eventually die.
That's how you get rid of weeds on a path. You don't dig them up. You just spray the leaves with a weed killer. The poison travels down to the roots and the weeds die. Satan sprays us with sex-obsessed media and trusts that the root of faith will eventually die. A contraceptive married lifestyle obviously frustrates God's plan for peopling heaven and it empties churches on earth. It's as though couples say to God, well, we trust you to create and organize everything in the universe, but our marriage has special problems and we think we must attend to it ourselves. Such an attitude is a flat denial of God's loving providence. No wonder it marks the end of the Catholic faith in that family. Well before Vatican II, a priest told me that contraceptive married life had already wrecked the faith in half of Europe. And as for couples living together without marriage, this conflicts head-on with the teaching of the Church. No wonder something has to give. The pressures are too great. So an adjustment has to be made, and conscience is adjusted to fit the new situation. Really, the malleability of the human conscience is quite amazing. St. Thomas Aquinas said that the incontinent person always has four terms to his or her syllogism. One, fornication is a mortal sin. Two, this is fornication. Three, therefore it's a mortal sin. Four, but this is a special case. <laughs>